Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, all Welcome into another Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. My name is Sal Capaccio. I feel I should tell you that, even though you probably already know that. Maybe you're just stumbling upon the podcast. Always got new listeners. That's always great. And always new ways to listen. I'm amazed of all the ways you can listen to podcasts that are available and so many ways that you know about that I don't even know about, and I'm still learning. I'm going to tell you, oh, you can do this, you can do that. You may be listening going, yeah, I already knew that, Sal. But I have no idea. I just record, I put it out there, and then you go find it however you find it. Now, I am an Apple guy. I use uh, the app on my iPhone to listen to podcasts like this one or other ones. You can download and subscribe through there. The easiest way might be to go to WGR550.com for a lot of you. But here's what happened when I just Googled Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. These come up. You got WGR550.com. You got the podcast section at Apple.com through iTunes. And then you have Omni.fm, O-M-N-Y.fm. You got Stitcher.com, TopPodcast.com, PodFanatic.com, Owltail.com. That sounds interesting. There's just a lot of ways to listen. So however you're doing it, thank you very much for doing it. Keep doing it. Download, subscribe, listen. Give me a nice review. That would be great. I'd appreciate that as well. I've been on the radio a lot lately on WGR, but I wanted to do a podcast because there's just a whole hell of a lot going on with the Bills, with the NFL. Uh, Me in particular, I wanted to talk about a cruise that I'd taken recently before all the uh, coronavirus stuff, but I don't even know if I'll get to that in this episode. episode. I might get to that in another episode, maybe the next one, because it was quite interesting and I'm glad I did it, but um, I got a lot to talk about with the Bills. So Let's do that, and then we'll see where we go from here because over the last few days, there's been a lot of news, and it all started with the team signing Josh Norman. Now, it's interesting to me the reaction that was on social media to the signing of Josh Norman. Lots of non-Bills fans, um, mostly you know fans of other teams, were panning the signing. Ha-ha, he stinks. His best years are behind him, which is probably right that his best years are behind him. Although I don't know if he necessarily has to stink still. He wasn't very good last year in Washington. Uh, We know that. It really wasn't a great scheme fit with how the Redskins wanted to use him. But here's a guy that's going to be going back to Sean McDermott's system. He's not going to be asked to be the top cornerback on the team like he was in Carolina, like he was in Washington. And the Bills do play a lot of zone coverage on, on the defensive end in the secondary. So that's really where he's going to succeed and thrive. And that's what the Bills are hoping for. Plus... From the reports, it's a $6 million deal, a couple more million in incentives to possibly get it to $8 million. We don't know what those incentives are 
right now. But as, unless it's like a fully guaranteed $6 million deal, I, there's ways to just say, hey, you know, if the guy is not what we think he can be, we can just move on from him. And maybe there's some guaranteed money in there, but that still wouldn't be totally cost prohibitive for the bills to do that. So I think this is a pretty high reward, low risk type of signing. And the fact is the bills need what I'll say is stability opposite Tredavious White. And the more people they bring in, the more competition they bring in to do that, that's going to create and hopefully find that stability. Because last year it was Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson. It was Levi Wallace for most of the year. And then he started to struggle. And then Kevin Johnson came in and they both rotated every game, every series basically of every game. And they did okay there. I mean, they had a very good defense, a very good secondary, one of the top passing defenses in the entire NFL. But they need stability. You don't, that's not the ideal model going forward. You don't want to have your number two cornerback rotating every other series during a game. So I think that's what this represents. Josh Norman is, hey, maybe we have a guy here who could come in and stabilize that corner spot. And if he is, and if he can, and if he can regain even close to anywhere like he was in Carolina under Sean McDermott, then my gosh, what a great signing that is on a one-year prove-it deal. If he can't, well, you're still trying to create more options and you can either move on from him, use him as depth purposes, although I know that would be expensive at $6 million, and they're still not done in free agency because it hasn't even started yet. That's the other part about this signing. Oftentimes what happens is this time of year, there are players available. A team signs a guy. This happened with the Bills last year and Spencer Long, by the way, the exact same thing. Now, Spencer Long's not the name that Josh Norman is, but he was available. The Bills signed him. And right away, I remember last year, so many people saying immediately, ha, 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 oh my gosh, they need to address the offensive line, but they get a guy that was just cut by the Jets. That's going to do nothing. Same old Bills. Okay, let's slow down a second here, okay? They can't just go out and sign anybody right now because free agency hasn't begun. A player like Spencer Long last year, a player like Josh Norman this year, these players are available because they were released by their teams. The players that you want to get in free agency are not available as of yet because they are on expiring contracts and those contracts don't expire until March 18th at four o'clock PM. And that's when free agency opens March 16th. Monday is when teams can start negotiating. So the other part of this, like I said, with Josh Norman is yes, he is a guy that maybe had a, you know, down year, down couple years, maybe lost a step. Maybe it doesn't ignite you or excite you about the signing, but he is the one that's available right now, not anybody else. There is no draft yet. That's in April. Free agency hasn't opened, and I don't think the Bills are done signing cornerbacks yet. In fact, counting Levi Wallace, who I'll get to in a second, the Bills now have only five corners on their entire roster. Kevin Johnson is a free agent. They're going to have probably nine or ten corners they bring to camp. So we'll see where this goes, but I like the fact that it's a low-risk, high-reward type of signing. I'm not going to sit here and predict that Josh Norman's going to regain the kind of form he did in Carolina. But I think if there's any chance that he has to do that in this league right now, it's with Sean McDermott and it's in this scheme that he did play. Now, Levi Wallace, as I mentioned, is on the roster as one of the corners. That's because the Bills, as of Tuesday morning, had re-signed Levi Wallace along with wide receiver Robert Foster. Both those players were scheduled to become exclusive rights-free agents. In fact, they were exclusive rights-free agents. So what does that mean? Well, it's a no-brainer here. All the Bills had to do was give each of these players a qualifying offer. A qualifying offer is the lowest minimum salary that they would make for their years in the league, which is two years each. Now, 
in the old CBA, which is still the current CBA because the new one hasn't been you know ratified yet and voted on by the players, I should say, to um, approve. In this CBA, the the minimum salary for those guys is six hundred sixty thousand dollars. So all the bills have to do is say, okay. We're going to pay you $660,000 a year. Here's your offer. And then there's nothing they can do. Whether they sign it or not, they can't go negotiate with another team as long as the Bills make that offer. This, in this case, they did re-sign, which means they signed that offer. Now, I will tell you, I'm not positive. They could have signed for more, but I highly doubt that because the Bills are in a complete position of control here with this situation for both Levi Wallace and Robert Foster. So then, like I said, really a no-brainer. If there's no way they could have made any other money by going to any other team or any less money, I should say, by going to any other They could make more money. They couldn't make any less money by going to any other team. The Bills had exclusive rights. That's why it's exclusive rights free agency for these guys. So Levi Wallace and Robert Foster, you just sign them to a minimum salary. They're yours. They can't negotiate with another team. You're, they're going to be on the roster when it comes time to training camp uh, in 2020. They also have another exclusive rights free agent in tight end Jason Kroom. Kroom is interesting because they have not announced any type of re-signing with him yet. Now, the Bills did not announce the others, but I can tell you I've confirmed it via a league source that Wallace and Foster did re-sign. I can also tell you that I've confirmed via a league source that that is not the case yet with Jason Kroom, but they are still, what I was told, working on his situation. Same situation. So I ask, why hasn't he been signed yet? Why haven't we heard or I've been told, or anybody's reported that he has an offer, an exclusive rights offer, a qualifying offer. Does this mean they're moving on from Jason Kroom? I would understand if they did that. They have right now six tight ends on the roster. Six tight ends. They also pursued Greg Olson. He signed somewhere else. Maybe from the beginning, Jason Kroom just wasn't in their plans, and they said, hey, we're going to let him go. We like what we saw from this group we have, including Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, Nate Becker, and of course, Lee Smith as a blocking tight end. And we're going to let Jason Crew move on. But again, there is really no downside here by saying we're going to give him the minimum qualifying offer for his number of years in the league. By the way, I didn't tell you if the new CBA is approved, that minimum offer for a guy with two year service is 750000 They get basically each guy is going to get a $90,000 raise simply by everybody signing the, uh, the uh, certification, the uh, CBA the collective bargaining agreement. So you would think those guys definitely want to do that because they're going to get a $90,000 raise instantly like that. But Jason Kroom, he would be in the same boat. But right now, as of right now, no movement on him. We'll see where that goes. If the Bills let him go and just say, we're not going to sign him to that, then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. He could sign with any other team. Or if the Bills say, yep, we're still going to do that. But for some reason, we just haven't heard that they're uh, they figured that entire thing out yet. They also have one restricted free agent. That is Isaiah McKenzie. Now, because the league year opens uh, next week and then the franchise and transition tag deadlines have been moved back because of the CBA stuff, I'm not even sure at this point exactly what the deadline is to give him his qualifying offer. Now, with him, it's a different scenario. Um, he is a restricted free agent, not an equal rights free agent. So that means the Bills have to give him a qualifying offer of what the Minimum would be for a guy that was what they call an original round tender. You have a first round tender where you say, we're going to offer a guy a salary that's really high that makes sure that we get a first round pick back in return if someone wants him. They can give him a second round tender. That is a little bit lower than the first round, of course, but still is pretty pricey. But you get a second round pick in return if a team signs him. 
or the only other option is an original round tender, which means it's the lowest amount that they can offer him, but it's still going to be probably about $2 million. And I wonder if that's going to be a little too rich for the Bills. Here's how I think the scenario is going to play out with Isaiah McKenzie. They will not offer him a restricted free agent contract. They will not qualify him. They're not going to give him $2 million. Now, they might. They might decide that because if they do and another team signed him, they'd receive a fifth-round pick in return because he came in the league as a fifth-round draft pick. But is Isaiah McKenzie really worth $2 million? Again, that's not the exact figure. It's going to be around there. I think the better play here is don't do that with Isaiah McKenzie. Let him become an unrestricted free agent and then try to bring him back on a lesser deal. So we'll see if that happens. The other bit of news was the Bills have uh, exercised their 2020 option on Spencer Long. No-brainer there as well. Spencer Long, a very valuable piece to that offensive line. Depth purposes, he's a swing man. He filled in when needed. He can play center. He can play guard. He's the guy I just told you about that came to the Bills last year after being released by the Jets. He just, it didn't work out there. Jets fans said he was horrible at center. Well, he didn't play center for the Bills. He mostly played guard, but he can play center as well. And that's a nice piece to have, especially considering we don't know what's going to happen with Quentin Spain, who is an unrestricted free agent or at least scheduled to become one next week. All right, I wrote a uh, couple of articles on the free agency period that's going to be coming up and who could possibly fit the Bills from a positional standpoint of a couple of needs that they have wide receiver, and defensive end. And I started with wide receiver, then I wrote defensive end slash edge rusher. So let's do that here. Let me start with wide receiver. You can find all this at WGR550.com. I'll tell you this, the free agent wide receiver class is not all that impressive. There are guys that could come in, they could help out, they could be depth guys. There's not really a true number one unless you count Amari Cooper. We don't know his status yet because of all the CBA stuff. Uh, The tag, all that, maybe he becomes a free agent, maybe he doesn't, maybe the Cowboys tag him. Even if he does not get tagged and he becomes a free agent, he's going to be super expensive. And sure, he would really help the Bills, but I don't know if they want to dip into that water to pay that much for a free agent wide receiver when this is one of the best draft classes in the uh, wide receiver draft classes we've ever seen. Historically good, talented at the top and deep. And I don't think the Bills really should be or want to spend that kind of a money of money on a free agent wide receiver when you could get so much better value in the draft than a guy on a rookie contract. A.J. Green, scheduled to become a free agent, but the word is that the Bengals will tag him. He won't be available. You could try to trade for him as well, but let's just leave Cooper and Green out of this for a second. And the guys that I listed, and there are a few guys that I could talk about that I didn't list as well uh, on my article, WGR550.com. Uh, Robbie Anderson, to me, has always been intriguing. Only 27 years old, caught 63 balls, 941 yards, seven touchdowns in 2017, but he never really made a huge jump after that. He's been consistent. He's been pretty good. He's got good size, six foot three. He's got good speed. He's sub 4-4, 40-yard dash, but I'm, he's not the kind of guy, again, that's going to come in and be the number one wide receiver. I think that you're basically talking about a guy that could really help out your receiving core and elevate everybody else a little bit. But I think the Bills are looking for someone even more so than that if they're going to spend the kind of money that a guy like Robbie Anderson might command. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't sign guys that are not number ones. What I'm saying is, though, a guy like Robbie Anderson might be viewed by some teams as being a fringe number one. I don't necessarily. And they're going to pay him that money. I don't think the Bills should do that even though he's a nice player. And if you can get him at a good price, then sure, bring him in. He's going to help out your wide receiver core. Philip Dorsett's going to be a free agent in New England, 27 years old. You know, here's a guy that his first two years in the league, he looked pretty good in uh, Indianapolis. Then they traded him for Jacoby Brissett 
it just never worked out in New England. I'm not really sure exactly why, um, but he's a guy that does offer speed and could come in and be, you know, a playmaker if you want. Again, probably won't be a lot of money, can help out the back end of your wide receiver core. A guy that I think is under the radar that maybe the Bills could be interested in, Rashard Higgins. This might be about opportunity and what they feel about him. Some observers felt that the Browns coaching staff didn't handle or develop him properly. 25 years old, a lot of changes in Cleveland, a coaching staff changes in Cleveland. You know, a guy that I think has some talent, but just never has been able to fit in Cleveland for whatever reason. And that could be on him as much as it is on the organization. I'm sure it is, but maybe he just has to have a change of scenery and another team can tap into that potential. He's six foot one. A lot of people want a big wide receiver for the Bills. I do too, but I don't think it should be necessarily a requirement or they should not sign a guy if he's not a certain height. Now, Burchard Perryman is six foot two, 215 pounds. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a guy that was a first-round pick of the Baltimore Ravens back in 2015. Missed his entire rookie season. Then in 2016 and 2017, he came on a little bit, made a couple of jumps, but it just never worked out, and they finally said, okay, we're just going to move on from him. He wound up signing. They, they cut him. He signed with the Washington Redskins, cut six days later. That'll tell you something. And then he went to Cleveland, only caught 16 passes, but he averaged 21.3 yards a catch. That is an amazing number, albeit a very small sample size. Again, wasn't working out for him his career, trending towards a first-round bust. But then last year, he goes to Tampa. Suddenly, things finally clicked, basically, if you want to call it that, because it could have been because he was in a pass-heavy offense. But he was a reliable part of that passing game. 36 catches, 645 yards. He averaged 17.9 yards a catch. That was fourth best in the entire NFL last year. He had six touchdowns. Now, almost all of those numbers came in the second half last year, but especially over the last three games, Mike, Mike Evans missed Three, I believe it was. Chris Godwin missed two. They were injured. Perryman becomes the number one receiver on the team. And in the time he was the number one receiver in those games, 17 catches, 349 yards, over 20 yards a catch, four touchdowns. And he had over 100 yards receiving three different times. So this is a guy who has the fifth highest yards per catch in the NFL for any receiver with at least over 90 catches over the last four years. A ton of big playability. He finally figured it out, or maybe he was just in a system to allow him to put up those numbers. Either way, I think he could be a really intriguing option, and maybe maybe the guy on this list that a lot of you would like the Bills uh, to go out and get. We have Taylor Gabriel, 29 years old, came into the league 2014. He has has had some big playability, 17.3 yards a catch um, in Cleveland one year when he started there, went to Atlanta, went to the Bears. Five foot seven, can play both inside and outside. I think he's intriguing because of that, mostly. Another guy that might just need an opportunity is Demarcus Robinson, 26 years old. He's improved each year in the league. I like guys like that. Uh, steady, nice career arc so far. Made his biggest jump uh, last year when he got an opportunity because Sammy Watkins was hurt. There were some other injuries. 32 catches, 449 yards. But let's remember, he was on a team that had Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. He hasn't really had all of the uh, opportunities that he might want or deserve or might be able to take advantage of maybe somewhere else that can happen. Emmanuel Sanders, he's the veteran of this group, 33 years old, the most productive receiver on the entire list that I had put out. And that's not surprising considering he's also the most experienced. He's been around the longest. Now, three 1,000-yard seasons on his resume, including a 1,400-yard catch season. Sorry, 1,400-yard season with 101 catches in 2014 back with the Steelers. He got traded Last year, because he was on an expiring contract, goes to San Francisco. And he continued to perform, by the way. 
he really did a nice job, and he's been consistent most of his career. Right now, he ranks 11th among active players in career receiving yards, 12th in career receptions. He's five foot 11. He showed no signs of slowing down last year. Uh, even after changing teams midseason, goes to the Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers. Emmanuel Sanders is out there as an unrestricted free agent. All right, let's take a look, though, at the defensive end spots. Oh, yeah, the uh, guys that I said that I'd mentioned that aren't in the article. Tajay Sharp, Tennessee Titans. I know that a lot of you might like him. Geronimo Allison never really became the guy they thought he would in Green Bay. Uh, that guy, he's interesting. Uh, and then Devin Funches, who's obviously taller, has the connection to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean from their time in Carolina together. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe those are one of the guys that uh, they target in free agency. There's other guys out there as well. I think the draft is the, the way to go here. Now, free agency could be the way to go for defensive end and edge rusher. I also have an article at WGR550.com on that. Take a look. I love the fact that there's just different types of guys here, younger, older, less experienced, more experienced, all have at least four years experience, basically. And then on top of that, guys that really kind of can play different roles for you. What I found interesting about doing this article is there are so many of these edge rushers that now really do have an ability to play both 4-3 defensive end, 3-4 outside linebacker. They can put their hand down. They can stand up. And I think that's because the way the game has changed over the last decade, especially or so, it's so pass heavy. Teams are putting so many pass rushers and athletes on the field. You have to be able to do so much. You can't just be a 3-4 guy. You can't just be a 4-3 guy. If you really want to survive in this league, you got to be able to do everything. And most of these guys can. Now, that said, they're still a better fit for some of them. For example, Marcus Golden is on my list. He is better in a 3-4 than he is a 4-3. But he's played both. That's a guy like that I think could fit into this equation. Like I'm telling you that, you know, you might not want him necessarily because the Bills play a 4-3, but he can still do that. The question I would have for a guy that's mostly a 3-4 fit is, is he going to play enough in the Bills system? I think the Bills need a true 4-3 defensive end. Simply, if they're going to pay him, you want him on the field a lot. Yannick Ngakwe is the guy here that is going to be the highest paid free agent on the market, most likely. Only 24 years old. He'll be 25 at the end of this month. Been in the league four years, already 37 and a half sacks. He's going to get a new deal worth probably around $22 million by some estimates. That's a lot of money. Now, he could get franchise tagged by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Then they'd have to trade him because he has said he's not going to play for them anymore. Do you really want to give up assets and the money? I don't know, because you'd probably have to sign him to a new deal once you bring him in anyway. That's going to be tough for the Bills to justify, but he is the guy on the market that I think would have the biggest impact right away on the Bills if they were able to land him some way, shape, or form. Jadavion Clowney, you know, this is a guy that uh, has been, you think about it, he was the number one high school recruit in America going to South Carolina. First overall pick in the NFL. Then he was maybe going to be a bust because of some of the injuries he had early on in his career. Then he started to terrorize the league, 18 and a half sacks over two seasons. Then he gets traded to Seattle, and now he's going to have a nice payday. How much? I don't know. And it could be even more so than he's worth because of his name and his reputation. Eric Armstead, Vic Beasley, Dante Fowler. I get a lot of guys here. Everson Griffin, a veteran who has a tie to Leslie Frazier when Leslie Frazier was the Minnesota Vikings head coach. That's because Griffin's been around a while. Um, he ranks 15th in career sacks amongst all active players right now. He's not had less than five and a half since his sophomore year in 2011. A veteran guy. Bills just had Kyle Williams retire last year. Now Lorenzo Alexander this year. They're going to need a little bit of that up front as well. Jason Pierre-Paul, 
He's a guy that's been really productive and consistent. Even at 31 years old, he showed he could play at a high level last year. Eight and a half sacks in just 10 games with Tampa Bay. He's been to the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl twice. Now he's probably most likely, again, a 3-4 outside linebacker, but he can and he has played 4-3 defensive end, and he's done well there. Robert Quinn is 30 years old. He's been in the league 10 years. That's amazing. He's turning 31. He's been in the league a long time for a young guy. So, And in that time, he's had some really nice production, especially early in his career. Didn't so much in the middle, but still was pretty consistent. Five and a half, six sacks a year, basically. Last year, then he goes to Dallas, 11 and a half sacks. Some Cowboys fans will tell you he was kind of disinterested in playing the run. He just went after the passer. He knew he's going to get paid if he got some sack numbers. And that could be true. And I'd be weary, but I do think he would be a fit for the Bills. The guy that I came away after writing this article thinking about a little bit more for the Bills is Mario Addison, 33 years old. And of course, here we go again, Carolina Panthers, right? I know every time a guy from Carolina is available, you think, well, of course, it's got to be a Carolina guy, even though shh, the Bills actually only signed two former Panthers all last offseason and both came late in the free agent process because they needed guys who knew the scheme to fit in that had to get up to speed very quickly. And that was Captain Munderland, who didn't even make the team, and Kurt Coleman, who did. But I digress. Mario Addison has been in Carolina. Of course, Sean McDermott was there. Brandon Bean was there. And now let's remember Eric Washington, former defensive line coach for Mario Addison, former defensive coordinator for the Panthers, who was let go as part of their regime change, now the Bills' defensive line coach. Did you know this? And I had no idea until I looked at this because you wouldn't have known him as one of these guys that really stands out with the name. Under Eric Washington, in fact, let me just say this, because Washington's been there a while, regardless of Eric Washington. Over the last four years, Mario Addison has had no less than nine sacks in a year. I had no idea about that. 33 years old, but he's still super productive. 39 sacks over the last four years, which is 11th most in the entire NFL over that time. So you're looking for a guy that, is familiar with the coaching staff and they're familiar with him, check that box. You're looking for a guy that's been really productive and consistent, check that box. You're looking for a guy that's going to bring a veteran presence, leadership, knows the system, check that box. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Bills at least are interested in Mario Addison. Now, the thing is, the Panthers have said they really want him back. How much is a team that's rebuilding? And that's what the Panthers are doing. They're rebuilding. How much are they willing to pay a 33-year-old unless they want him as a team might, to be a veteran presence on a roster where they're going to start bringing in younger players that they can learn from and watch and all that kind of stuff like the Bills have done in the past. So we'll see if he actually uh, hits the free agent market and fields offers, and I I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills are one of those offers. All right, let's uh, end this pod with the Brady Bunch, which is the bunch of teams pursuing Tom Brady. That's a really bad one. I know. I don't care. I was thinking of something else to say. I was going to use Brady Hunch, but that's already being stolen by uh, the Dan Lebitard show, which I heard the other day listening to that. So I'll just say the Brady Bunch. We all know what that means. The Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch. And who is really going to be pursuing Tom Brady out of the Brady Bunch? Of course, New England is still in the mix. Tennessee, Tampa, San Francisco, which I can't believe, but it just seems like that won't go away. As of right now, now look, a while ago, about what, a few weeks ago, I was on the air with Bulldog. We were hosting. We did a little exercise. We put all of the starting, all of the teams and had a starting quarterback for each to start the season. And I put Brady on the Raiders. And I firmly believed for the last several months, before even last season started, that 
this last season was going to be Brady's last year in New England. Just the way that his contract was structured, things that have been said in the past, the way it was trending, the way that Belichick operates. I've always believed that. Now, he could very well go back, but I'm going to hold to that. I really thought it was going to be the Raiders based on things that you know people were saying and what we were hearing, their disenchantment with Derek Carr possibly. I'm not going to think that anymore. Now, he still could go there, but it really looks like the Titans are the team that is in the driver's seat here for Tom Brady from all the reports that you're hearing from everyone. That said, Tampa Bay is making a huge charge down the home stretch, and that is part, partly because they just don't want Jameis Winston, apparently. And Bruce Arians knows he has a team that he can try and win with. He's not getting any younger. He's an older coach. He wants to win right now. They have weapons. It's Tampa. It's Florida. There's no state income tax. It's a place where people always go to retire anyway, if you want. Um, that's interesting. And then San Francisco, it just won't go away. I can't see San Francisco doing it. But, you know, as Peter King wrote this week uh, uh, in Sports Illustrated, SI.com, and he's right. He said, all that has to happen is for the Niners to say, we're not interested in having anyone other than Jimmy Garoppolo as our quarterback. So there's all the speculation is just basically hogwash, something like that. That's all they have to do. No one has done that yet, which makes you think there is something to maybe them wanting Tom Brady. And why wouldn't Tom Brady want to go to San Francisco? It's his hometown. It's the team he grew up playing for. For all we know, he has had a lifelong dream to play for the San Francisco 49ers. Joe Montana, watching him grow up. He may want to do that. He may want to go to a place that, you know what? They were in the Super Bowl last year. All they needed to do was close out a 10-minute fourth quarter, and they are hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. He might think that's his best option to do it. They might want him. I just think it's fascinating. We'll see where he goes. I'm still going to hold that Tom Brady is not going to be the New England Patriots starting quarterback in 2020. I have no idea. It still could happen, but I'm holding to that because I've been saying that for a while, and I still feel that's going to happen. Then who do the Patriots go after? Wow. I'm still going to hold here that they're going to, I'm going to say Andy Dalton. That's what I've said for a while. I still think that's possible. Andy Dalton, uh, we've heard Jameis Winston's name in the mix. Can you imagine though, Winston going to Belichick with all the interceptions he's thrown? I just can't see that. Belichick and McDaniels, I don't think they would um, really be down for that, but maybe they want something different and that represents something different on how they're going about their business. Plus what's the price tag? on Jameis Winston, if you're not going to be willing to pay Tom Brady, maybe what he wants, would you really be able to and willing to pay Jameis Winston what he might command? Marcus Mariota, some people have speculated that. I guess it could happen. A new name in the fray here, Nick Foles. Hmm, that might be interesting. He's used to going places and being a veteran and a guy that could be reliable, but we've also seen him implode. So as Brady turns, the Brady bunch, whatever you want to call it, it's in full swing. It's all this week. We got a lot of deadlines on the table this week. Pay attention to what's going on this weekend because there's so much stuff as far as deadlines that have been moved and all that kind of stuff. Here are the deadlines that you need to be aware of heading into the weekend and into next week. On Saturday at 11.59 p.m., that will be the player's vote. That is at night, right before midnight Saturday night. That is the player's deadline to vote on the CBA. We will know by Sunday probably if it passes or not. Then Monday at 11:59 and 59 seconds. That's right. 11:59 and 59 seconds AM right before noon. That's the franchise transition tag deadline for any team that wants to tag a player. 1 second later, literally 1 second later, the legal tampering negotiating period begins for everybody who's going to become a rest uh, restricted and unrestricted free agent in the NFL. And then 
Two days later at 4 p.m., Wednesday, March 18th at 4 p.m., the league year officially begins and free agency begins and teams can start signing players. So we'll have a lot more to talk to you about that and a lot more coming your way this week. Catch me on WGR Sports Radio 550 all this week. I know I'll be uh, in studio on Thursday with Howard and Jeremy. I'll probably be on Friday morning, maybe in studio, and then with Bulldog maybe Friday afternoon, depending how things go. We'll see. But either way, it's because a lot's happening with the Bills, with free agency, with the NFL. And I appreciate you coming aboard and listening to this podcast. Download, subscribe, and throw me a nice review, will you? Thanks for coming aboard to the South Sports and Stuff podcast again. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.